The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Church, good evening. If you're visiting with us or uh, you've tuned in fairly recently, we're in the midst of a series called The God You're Looking For. And we're talking about who God is, His identity, and just how that will impact our relationship with Him. Tonight we are looking at the God who is righteous. The God who is righteous. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about God's righteousness, it poses some challenges to me. Because we like the idea of a God that sees all things, a God that hears all things, a God that you know, is emotional with us, committed to us. But when we think about God being righteous, it's kind of two things. One, it might sound a little boring to do the right thing all the time. But probably more importantly, if God is righteous, what does that say about us? If God is right in all that he does, that surely must communicate something about us that maybe we're lacking in our own righteousness. And so tonight, we are looking at the God who is righteous. The God who is righteous. And if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 6. One of the most famous books ever written, of course, the book to Romans. And so if you have it open, if you have it open, we're going to look here at Romans chapter 6. And we're just going to read from verse 15, if you have it with you. So it says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or slaves to slaves to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God. Though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Church, let us pray. Father, tonight we ask, we thank you for this word, Father, and tonight we ask for illumination. We ask for revelation, Lord. I ask for anointing. Lord, I pray that you will give us open eyes, Lord, that we may see wondrous things from your law. Lord, I pray that we would have open ears, for you say that he who has ears to hear, he or she who have ears to hear, let them hear. And God, we want to hear you tonight. We want to hear your voice. I pray you would just illuminate your word to us tonight. May we walk out of here not the same. In your precious name, amen. Righteousness. What do you think of the God who is righteous? What do you think of about the word righteousness? For many of us, we sort of think, boring, really? Like, that's that's what the losers do. That's what the nerds do. And I can understand that. It might seem like a boring thing, but see, righteousness is about doing the right thing. Righteousness is about putting things in their right order. And I don't know about you, but I like the idea that if we were all doing the right thing, 
There might not be a need for a police force. There might not be a need for security. There'd be a lot of things we wouldn't need if we all just did the right thing. But as we're going to see tonight, that's not the way things work. We can, if we're committed to serving God correctly, we are. Com- it is possible for us not to do the wrong thing. I'm not saying we won't sin, but I'm saying we can treat each other righteously. But the reality is we're in a fallen world, so this is a part of our existence. But you might sort of think, that's boring, you know, to never do the wrong thing. Of course, it might be worth us just stopping right there and saying, what actually is righteousness? Well, according to the dictionary, righteousness is the quality of being morally correct or justifiable. So it's the quality or maybe it's the state of your like your emotions or your thoughts. It's the state of being morally correct. The, the actions you're taking, the thoughts you're having, they are justifiable. It's, it's quite related to rightness. Being upright, in a Christian context, would probably say holy living. It's, it's all of those things. Now, again, the, the reaction when people think about righteousness, a lot of people would think, that's what the nerds do. I don't want to be constrained. I don't want to be held back by rules and, and, and guidelines. I want to be free, man, free. We think we are free without righteousness. We think that by doing our own thing, we will experience freedom. But, you know, you've only got to look around at the world around you. That's not the case. When there is a lack of rules, when there's a lack of respect for one another, we see anarchy, as I'll I'll go into in a little bit. And see, verse 16 makes that super clear to us. Verse 16 tells us it's not a freedom at all. It says, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, notice the language, When you offer yourselves as slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether it be slaves to sin or slaves to obedience, whether it be slavery that leads to death or slavery that leads to life and righteousness and doing the right thing. We're fooling ourselves if we think that we are free just because we choose to be unrighteous. That's a very common response in the world. But what's possibly even more common is there are some people who say, well, I don't know if I see the need for God. So they still haven't understood this slavery thing. So just park that thought for a moment. They haven't understood this slavery thing, but they sort of think, look, God, yeah, I, I don't know. But, but, but I see the value in doing the right thing. I see there's an argument for being a good person. And when we look at ourselves, we'll sort of turn around and say, well, I'm a good person. I'm a good man. I'm a good woman. You know, you might turn around and say, I'm not exactly Mother Teresa or Bill Gates, Mahatma Gandhi, whoever, but I'm not Chopper Reed either. I'm not some serial killer. I'm not some rapist or murderer. I'm not, I'm not a lying politician. I'm not an embezzler. I'm a, I'm a good guy. You know, I, I earn for my family. I love my wife or my husband or whatever. I'm a good person. And see, church, the world is... It's no surprise that this message has gained traction because the world screams at us that we don't need God. The world is shouting at every possible opportunity that God is no longer necessary. We have, um, our need for God has expired. We have, he's passed his use by date. 
Religion was something that, you know, uh, prehistoric and primeval peoples needed, but we're more enlightened now. We have, you know, an ability within us to rationalize. We have an ability within us to really be free and to do the right thing. Again, verse 16 tells us that we are still in slavery to death. But see, if you, if you don't believe what the Bible says, let's look at history. We might think we can be free, but just consider the day we're living in, or even even a few centuries back. Leading out of the Dark Ages was a period called the Enlightenment. Now, you've probably heard of this, and there were three big philosophies that gained traction towards the end of that. The first was called rationalism, it was by the guy by the name of Kant. And Kant said that it's about doing what you think feels right. You've got a brain, you can do what's right. You can think about what's right and wrong. You can rationalize. After him came Rousseau, and Rousseau said, I'm not sure if it's so much about what we think. I think it's more about what we feel. Doing what our heart tells us to do. Not so much even the mind, but it's our heart, it's our emotions. And then it was Nishi who followed these two gentlemen. And Nishi's thought process was, it's the will to power. Each of us has a desire for power. And you know, if we really, if we really push that, if we really think about that and allow our will to follow the natural course of things, we will desire to have power. We can change our destiny. That was kind of his, his thinking. You know, we can turn our lives around could be summed up do what you want to do be what you want to be yeah now listen i i love that song it's a beautiful song and you know uh, i've i've sung it to my kids at times but when we look at it through this prism i don't know if it's so great those lyrics are tragic really because if we look at what's followed the enlightenment quote unquote you would argue it was another dark ages really it was it was darkness because we had things like the French Revolution. We had things like, yeah, and as bloody as that was, we had things like the American Civil War, brother against brother fighting over whether, uh, you know, people of a different culture were allowed to be treated as humans. Slavery, is that right or wrong? We had uh, things like great economic depressions, finishing up with 1929, the, the Great Depression. We had famines around the world. We had colonialism exploding. And while it brought some good things, we know now that native peoples were treated abominably. We know that there were two, the two greatest, most heinous, bloodiest wars were fought in the 20th century, culminating, that involved the whole world, and culminated in the dropping of the atomic bomb, the, the, the most disgusting, brutal, heinous weapon ever invented. It could liquidate a city just like that. Do what you want to do. Be what you want to be. Yeah. No. No. See, see, church, when we do what we want to do, when we do what our heart is telling us, when we do what our mind is telling us, it leads us to that. The ultimate end of doing what we want to do the ultimate end of us looking inward, it doesn't make us more righteous. It doesn't even make us happier. It just makes us more selfish. And it just makes us look at the world around us and think, I am right. That's what war is. We are right. 
Doing what we want to do has led us nowhere. It's just led us up a garden path. We need something else, church. We need something beyond ourselves. We need something objective. We look around at history and we think, doing what I want to do and being what I want to be is not, yeah, it's nah, it's I've stuffed it up. It's this world is in a mess. Is there hope? Is there something else? Is there a moral code beyond ourselves that we can look to? Because you see, church, righteousness is a bit like watching a sporting match. Those of you who watch football or cricket or whatever it is that you do, isn't it true? You, you Sometimes you sit there and you watch and you've, you know, hands up if you've ever experienced this. You're sitting there and you're watching and your team is getting rolled. Your team is getting pumped. And I don't mean pumped up. I mean, they're getting hammered, you know. Rugby league, it's like a 50-0 scoreline, you know, halfway through the match. Uh, cricket, you know, it's zero runs for th- uh, zero wickets for three hundred runs or something. You know, you're just getting beaten up, and you sort of sit there and think, "Give me a jersey, give me a shirt, I'll get on the field." None of us have done that before, have we? No, no, no. That's no, just me. Okay, it's just me. But seriously, we have this idea that we can do it. We have what it takes. That is self righteousness in its nutshell. We have what it takes. And the Bible makes it very clear. Romans makes it very clear. We need something beyond ourselves. We are in slavery. But thanks be to God. Verse 17. Thanks be to God. Thanking God that there is something beyond us. He didn't leave us to try and work this out for ourselves. He has given us the ability to be righteous because of who He is. Church, He has given us an example. He has given us the way through Himself. Now, notice verse 17. It says here that, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the what the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. The pattern of of teaching, they have seen it. They've, Paul is referring to himself uh, immediately, but ultimately, it's God. It is the example that God has given us. His righteousness is perfect. Now, I just want a quick sidebar here because we need to differentiate. Righteousness is not works, or let me rephrase that: it is not works for salvation. Religions around us teach that you do good. See, while the self-righteous will say, you have the ability to do what's right and wrong, and it's all within you, religion recognizes that there is something above, but we need to reach out to him or her, whatever it is, and we need to reach out with the best of our abilities and do what's right. Right? That's what religion teaches us. Religion is, uh, you know, faith plus works equals salvation. But when we do that, when we say that our righteous deeds bring about our salvation, all we're doing is putting cart before horse. We're putting it round the wrong way. It's chicken and egg stuff. Except we know where the beginning is. The beginning is not in righteous deeds. It's back to front. When religion teaches us that righteousness changes us, no, no, no. Christianity says that righteousness is the evidence of the change within us. It is the evidence of faith. It is the evidence, the, the, the proof of our lives being declared righteous in God's sight. 
Now, I don't know about you, but that's liberating. Knowing that it is not depending on my righteousness, but rather that my righteousness is the fruit of my life. It is the proof that I am a genuine follower of Christ. And so we have God's example. We have God proving to us time and time again that he is the perfect king, perfectly righteous. A couple of examples here in the word that we could go all day. I've just picked on three. Psalm 11 tells us that the Lord is righteous and that he loves righteousness and that the upright will see his face. He loves righteousness. He cherishes righteousness like you might cherish a dog or a cat or a baby even moreover, uh, like a baby, like your child. God cherishes righteousness. He loves it. It is it is so much a, a part of what he wants for us and the way that he lives that he loves it. He cherishes it. But then we read in Psalm 119, it's even more than that. Not only that he loves righteousness, righteous are you. Oh Lord, righteous are you. God, righteousness defines God and God defines righteousness. Isn't it amazing? Not only that he loves it, but his very fiber. It's almost as if you could cut God, he would bleed righteousness. And that means always being in that state of morally correct, justified. He's never sinned in his eternal existence and then in second corinthians paul is quoting uh, one of the other psalms saying his righteousness endures forever his righteousness doesn't end now i don't know about you but i'm glad that god doesn't take a day off from being righteous i'm glad that god doesn't change i'm glad that we serve a constant god a, a god that doesn't play tricks on us i'm glad that god doesn't get bored with his own righteousness Because if you look at the history of a lot of other religions, the gods of those religions are capricious. The gods of those religions play tricks on each other. They go to war with each other. They are not morally good all the time. If you don't believe me, watch the movie Thor. Or watch any of these other movies about pagan deities. That's not how this works. But thanks be to God, we have the example the pattern that he has set before us. And if we don't believe the Old Testament, we look at the New Testament. Jesus walking the earth, never sinning in thought, word, or deed. And just just as an aside there, righteousness is always tied to justice. You notice that? Some of these translations will render righteousness as justice. And see, church, God lifts the lowly. God is always in the business of lifting up the lowly, the humble, the weak, the widowed, the orphan. Because that was you and me at one point. When we came to God, we were the weak and the lowly and the orphaned. Now you might turn around and say, well, that's, that's such good news, Andrew. That is wonderful news tonight. I have the example of God's faithfulness. I have his manual in his word. But just, just, just call time for a second. Time, time out. I know that I sometimes the manual isn't enough. I know that sometimes just following instructions isn't enough. And for sure, it, it, sometimes it's not. There are times when no matter how many instructions you follow, you can't do what's asked of you. 
anyone ever put together a, f- a flat pack from Ikea or Fantastic or some other place and Bunnings, whatever, and you, you, you've got screws left over, bolts left over. I, I mean, let's be honest. Us guys, we probably didn't read the manual, but but the ladies, the ladies would have. Um, but it's just not making sense. Sometimes the manual alone isn't enough. And let me tell you, church, God knows that the manual isn't enough. Not because the manual lacks anything, but because the ask is so great. The ask to be righteous is something that is humanly impossible. Is it any wonder that Jesus said, this is impossible, talking of salvation by works. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And how, you say, how is this possible? How can we look beyond just having the manual? The manual's great, but, but is there more? Is there more than just God's example? Praise God. Yes, there is, church. We have His strength. We have His power. We have His Spirit residing within us. See, verse 18, it doesn't say it, it implies it. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. It's implied. Slavery kind of, you know, it's, it's jumbo jet stuff. 747 goes right over our heads. But in Paul's day, slavery was extremely relevant because slavery was extremely um, prevalent. It was all over the place. And, you know, people traded slaves like they trade shares today. People traded slaves like you might sell a car. You need the money, you you sell that person. You need a job done, you buy that person. See, today you might be Jason's and tomorrow you might be Priscilla's or whoever's. You might be here today, gone tomorrow. That is the nature of slavery. And so Paul says, you were slaves to sin. You were slaves to death. But listen, you are now slaves to righteousness. What has happened? What's changed? I'll tell you this, church, we were not able to step out of the slavery by ourselves. Someone bought us. Someone paid a price. Someone looked at us unlovely and unworthy as we were and paid a price. They thought enough of us to buy our freedom. Who could that have been? What could that have been? It's the cross. It's the cross. We've been liberated from slavery to sin and we're now slaves to righteousness. Why? We were bought with a price. We were bought with the sinless blood of Jesus. We were bought by Christ. See, church, in the fullness of time, in the fullness of time, one came and one was born to raise the sons of earth. One came from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt and came, we're celebrating Christmas in just two weeks' time. Why? Why do we celebrate? Because of the arrival of Messiah. Jesus would come to liberate us from sin. And now God, through the sacrifice of Christ, through His cleansing blood, and now we stand with God's mercy drenching us, with God's, the blood of Christ having washed our hearts and the Spirit infilling us, we can now be declared righteous. And church, our righteousness can only stem from this. Any goodness that we have is not the goodness of our own heart. Yes, we're made in the image of God, but it is 
totally dependent upon the cross. It is totally dependent on the work of salvation that only God, the triune God, can bring about in your heart. If you hear a preacher say anything else, church, that's a lie. That's a lie. There's nothing within us that can do this. It is simply God. You see, church, we were bought with a price. And God, having shown us His righteousness and now having equipped us by His Spirit through His blood, through His mercy to do the righteous thing, calls on us now, just as we were lifted out from the lowly place, to help lift others from their poverty. Physical, yes, but spiritual even more so, to share His good news and to do our part in making a difference around us. Sometimes the difference is small. (laughs) Sometimes the difference is very small. This morning, (laughs) this morning, I did a quick shop uh, before the kids were up and about and uh, we we needed some groceries and I I went through the self-serve checkout at Woolworths, which probably wasn't the smartest idea. I, I put everything up, scanned it, put it in bags, walked out to the car. And as I walked out to the car, I'm putting things in and suddenly at the bottom of the trolley, there's a jam jar, just a jar of coddies. And I looked at that and I thought, that's not bagged. I've got a feeling I didn't scan that. Check, I grab out my receipt, I check it. Nope, it's not there. And I'm sitting there thinking, I've walked all the way to the car. Have you ever had this happen to you? And you walk all the way to the car and you think, I'm not going to bother dollars does Woolworths really need my money really they're so big they're a multi-billion dollar business and then as I'm thinking that this is all happening in a split second as I'm thinking that in my other ear it's kind of like I'm hearing God say what if your kids were here what if Bella was here what if the kids were here Bella would probably say dad did you pay for that Rachel would probably say dad you're not gonna leave without paying for that surely Alicia would probably say, Dad, you're preaching about righteousness tonight. Go and pay for it. <laughs> and so I went in and I, I paid for it. As it turns out, I'd, I'd forgotten something, so I had I really needed to go in anyway. Um, but I went and I, I paid for it. I did the right thing. It can be very small. It can be very large. But God calls us to live righteously. Do you know we look at uh, stories like the prodigal son and, and we see, oh, we see the righteousness of God. Because you see, that older son, the father had every right, uh, the younger son, the father had every right to turn him away. You have squandered my wealth. You have defamed my family. But instead of that, he welcomes him in. And church, that's the posture we come to Jesus with. We might see the example of God, but without His strength within us, we come to God with absolute deadly squat. We come to God with nothing. And God graciously pours His blessing upon us, gives His Spirit inside of us. But see, here's the tragedy. Too often... We find that we're so thankful that we're saved. We're so thankful that God has done a work for us that we transfer to the camp of the older brother. We find that we start to see church, hear me, self righteousness 
doesn't stop just because you're a Christian. Just because you're a Christian, don't think you can't be self-righteous. The elder brother was full of that. The elder brother is like, Dad, I have stayed loyal to you. I, I have worked for you. I didn't squander for you. And this jerk, this man comes back into our house and you're going to give him back his rights? I'm done. I, I'm not going to go in there. And, and the, the father then starts to plead with the older son, 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 come and be part of what I'm doing. Come and be part of the radical things that I'm doing. What are we talking about? We're talking about loving the unlovable. We're talking about being people of integrity. We're talking about righteousness. He wants us to live in such a way that our lives only point to Jesus. Because see, church, when we live righteously, people wonder what's wrong with us. People wonder and they ask and they seek. I want what they've got. I want what you have. And see, church, Tim, uh, Paul writes also to Timothy. He says to him that he is to pursue righteousness. Don't get the impression this will come automatically. He didn't say righteousness will follow you all the days of your life. No, no. He says pursue, pursue righteousness. It's a choice. God has saved you. God has declared you righteous. Now go and live a righteous life. Go and do the right thing. You couldn't have done it without Jesus. But now that you have him, do what is right. Earlier in the chapter, he says, exercise yourself towards righteousness. Other translations say practice being godly. Lewis quoted um, Colin Buchanan. I'm going to quote him again. He says, "Have the kids might know this. Have you seen those fit and healthy guys always doing their exercise? But it's better to live for a heavenly prize. So practice being godly. It's not cool. It's not fun sometimes, but it is right. And it is what our loving Father calls us to. Church, deep in our hearts, we want to be righteous. We want to be a righteous people and we want to know a righteous God. We want the God we're looking for not to be a God that is capricious, not to be a God that is inconsistent, but rather we want a God who we can trust. And fortunately, The God that we seek is a God who is intrinsically righteous, a God who is right in all that he does. And with his example and with his strength, we can share in that righteousness. And so church, just quickly as we bring this to a close, tonight some of us have an idea that our righteous deeds will save us. Spoiler alert, they're not going to. Some of us think that our righteousness is better than that of those around us. Yes, we're not some saint, but we're not some murderer either. It's not going to be. God doesn't see it that way. Some of us think that our deeds are not necessary. We're we're like the older brother on the other side. And no, that's not true, church. Our deeds matter. Not to save us, but to show that we're saved. To prove that there is a difference within us. See, church, we need our righteous God by His mercy, by the blood of our Savior, and by the filling of the Spirit. We need our God to 
call us righteous as he is righteous. And then we need to be about his business, living righteously so that others may see the difference in our lives. When we are the same as the world, they don't want what we have. But when we are different, when we walk to a different beat, it makes us more interesting. It makes our gospel more interesting. It makes our God more attractive when they see the difference in our lives. It's not just about being relevant. See, church, I was reading an article this week about... um, the way that the Western church, particularly in America, I think, but the Western church has emphasized relevance. And listen to this. This is damning. It says, there is an irony though in how whenever Christians seem to attach themselves to mainstream culture with all of its vices, so that's us trying to look like the world and smell like the world, trying to attract people into church. When Christians attach themselves to mainstream culture in the hope of drawing people towards God, they, that is the Christians, seem to get drawn towards that vice. It's the exact opposite. In trying to be relevant, we lose our desire for righteousness. Let's not be that kind of church. Let's be a church that prioritizes righteousness, not relevance. Sure, let's try and be relevant to those around us. But the greatest way we can be relevant is showing the difference God has made to our lives. My prayer, church, I know the prayer of Hill and Lewis and all the leaders, elders and so forth, is that when people see us in action, when people see us, there's an evenness, there's a there's a good temperament, and there's a desire to serve, there's a desire to be righteous. It is my prayer tonight that as people look to us, they will be on their way to finding the God they are looking for. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word in this place tonight. Father, we thank you that you are indeed a righteous God. You are a God who loves your people. You're a God that has given us everything we need for life and godliness. You are a God who loves righteousness, who defines righteousness, who cherishes righteousness. You're a God that will be righteous and holy forever and evermore. Is it any wonder, God, that we sing you indeed are a good good father there's no one like you and so god i pray tonight that for some of us we would have a fresh vista fresh revelation of your goodness for some of us i pray we would have such a an awakening that we would realize that yes our righteous living matters not to gain something from you lord but to perhaps have the world around us look to you and for others of us still who are trying to do things on our own in our own self-righteous living that we would, Lord, we would see that it is you that matters. It is your grace that matters. It is your mercy that saves, not human endeavor. God, I pray we would be found to be a righteous people, Lord, to a church, uh, to a world that so desperately needs your righteousness, that needs the light that only comes through Christ. Help us, Lord, to be that, um, to be that missing link for so many people, Lord. To those around us. Father, go before us tonight as we leave, as we bless, and may we bless people during this week. May we be, Lord, busy to being salt and light in our communities around us. May, we, may our lives ever point and give glory to you. 
Lord, we give you all of the glory and all of the honor. With our words and with our actions in our lives, Lord, may they follow and honor you. In the matchless name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church Podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.